0: The truth of the matter is, uh, uh, I, I told everyone several times, I'm not a fundraiser. I raise the expectation of what God can do through you for missions. I mean, if God doesn't put on your heart to give something, I'm certainly not going to put something on your heart. But uh, you know, <clears throat> we do have this reaction to money. You know, I was in a, I was in a on the ground level of a uh, brother Bud Calvert and a bunch of independent Baptists wanted to have a a national missions conference, and we called it a conference on world, Evangel- uh, conference on world evangelization. And we're meeting in D.C., and, and, and one businessman stood up, who, because it was going to cost about $120,000 to have the meeting with all the missionaries there. And I'll never forget, uh, a businessman stood up, and he was saying, you know, uh, people say uh, money's not everything. That's true. And he said, but when it comes to ministry, it sure does eliminate a lot of nothingness. Because John Henry Jowlett Jowlett said, uh, uh, the ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. I mean, you you expect to spend money when you go to the grocery store, don't you? You expect to pay your electric bill. You, You expect to pay in every area, but we don't expect to pay sometimes in ministry. That may not be you, but a lot of people feel that way. It's kind of like the visiting preacher. This is kind of the attitude. The visiting preacher was really getting the congregation moving. Near the end of his sermon, he said, this church was, has really got to walk. This was, this was one of them southern churches. They were loud. You know what I mean? You understand? To which someone in the back yelled, let her walk, preacher. Let her walk. The preacher then said, if this church is going to go, it's got to get up and run. To which someone again yelled with gusto, let her run, preacher. Let her run. Feeling the surge of the church, the preacher then said, with even louder gusto, if this church is going to go, it's got to really fly. And once again, with every ever greater gusto, someone yelled, Let her fly, preacher, let her fly. The preacher then seized the moment and stated with ever greater gusto, if this church is really going to fly, it's going to need money. To which someone in the back yelled, Let her walk, preacher, let her walk. <laughs> Well, I think that's sometimes the attitude, but the truth of the matter is we plan to pay for everything, but you know what? What about the cause for which Jesus came into the world, and what about not just your town? Mm. You know, the thing that helped me years and years ago is I realized it wasn't just about my church. That's right. That's right. It wasn't about me building some kind of a monument on the corner to, to John Godfrey or even the, to the Lord Jesus, but to, to, to have a, a station that sends out people. Mm. To reach the world. And we, back in the 70s, we had that phenomenon. You know, well, let's just, me, mine, and mine. And let me tell you how big we are and what we've done. Uh, there's a Greek word for that, baloney. Let me tell you. <laughs> let me tell you. Let me tell you. We ought to be big in our outreach. And it ought to be bigger than our town. Now, you've got to go around the corner or you can't go around the world. Don't misunderstand me. You ought to win people to Christ at home if you don't do it here. and uh, You're a hypocrite and try to do it somewhere else. Don't misunderstand me. But we're going to look at a passage here. And the first verse I want to read to you is not in the text. It's found in John chapter 9 and verse 4. Jesus said this, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. That verse is loaded with the time element, which is crucial. But I want you to look at Matthew chapter 25. Everybody there, Matthew 25. You have the parable of the the ten virgins. Five that were wise and got oil uh, for their lamps, and five that did not. And, of course, the five that did not wanted to get oil from the others, and it's all about the kingdom of God. And, of course, uh, that oil could be the Holy Spirit. You can symbolize it the way you want to if you want to, but getting ready because Jesus is coming. And he says in verse 13, Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. And there you have the time element there again. I mean, we don't have but so much time. The window of opportunity is closing. But then I want to read this parable to you about the kingdom of God. It says, For the kingdom of heaven, verse verse 14, is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To every man according to his several ability. Get that. They received according to their ability. And straightway, that's immediately, took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. He increased five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, and he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. Notice whose money it was, his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. He said, Here, I'm giving it back to you. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, Thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not and gather where I have not strawed thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him and give it unto him which hath ten talents, for unto every one that hath shall be given, and he that shall have ab- and he shall have abundance, but from him that hath not shall be taken away, even that which he hath, even that which he hath. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Teach us today. Lord, help us to realize this parable of the kingdom of heaven is here for a purpose. And Lord, I just pray that we might glean from it and you'd open the hearts of your people and they'd understand. uh, Lord, all of us have something and we have abilities and Lord, we must use them for you while it's time. And Lord, if there's one here without Christ, may they understand that they're running out of time. That really their, their, their destiny is based on their heartbeat. And Lord, that could stop today. And I pray to your Lord that that person would come to Christ. May they realize that though we're talking about financing world evangelization in this meeting, Lord, uh, I pray that they may understand we're more concerned about them receiving something this morning. That's eternal life. And Lord, it's all because you've given everything that we might have life and more abundant life. And I pray that they receive Christ today. And we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This parable of the kingdom of heaven involves three men who were asked to put their Lord's money to work. We're going to follow the money this morning. You know, you've heard that term in the the political world. Let's follow the money. You find out who's paying what, you'll know who's responsible, right? So we're going to follow the money this morning. And uh, this verse that I read to you in the, begin- in the beginning from John chapter 9, verse 4, Jesus is challenging the disciples about time. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. You've got three words there and, uh, that are used figuratively. Work, day, and night. Those three words, and they denote something. They denote time. While it is day, speaks of opportunity to work. And night figuratively indicates the end of work. We stop working when it's night. I know there are people working at night, but basically years ago when the lights, they didn't have lights around, and so when it got dark, they went to bed. And they didn't stay up and watch TV for two hours. The bottom line is is that uh, night figuratively meant the end of work. I want us to see four truths from the parable that affect world missions. First of all, the first truth is time is precious. Mm-hmm. Time is precious. You know, I, I'm, I'm 69, and uh, I don't have a whole lot of messages. I've preached more messages than I'm going to probably preach in the near future. And so time is precious to me. I'm not really concerned about my bank account, to be honest with you, all right? Uh, I'm not really really concerned about a house. I do have one. Uh, the bottom line is, uh, I, I'm concerned about what's going to be filled into the next 15 years of my life. And I, I, I me say this to you. If you're young, you don't know how much time you've got. You have a window of opportunity. You need to have a plan, a five-year plan for every five-year increment of your life then you need to have a yearly plan and you need to have a monthly plan or time will slip away from you. It goes fast. Okay? It goes fast. And so, uh, time is precious. The works Jesus spoke of required time. I must work the works of him that sent me while his day. The night cometh when no man can work. He knew that there was precious little time for his ministry on earth. He only had about a, oh, I don't know, uh, Uh, a short period of time on earth. He only lived to be about 33. The five foolish virgins in verses 1 through 12 ran out of time, didn't they, to buy oil uh, for their lamps to meet the bridegroom. And so they were left out. Uh, Look, if you will, uh, please, uh, back at uh, uh, verses 10 through 13. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage and the door was shut. It's a picture of the church and Christ at the marriage feast. Yeah. Afterward came also other versions saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily, verily, or verily, he just says it one time, but it means truly, I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. And so there's a time element there. They wasted their time. They were not ready for Christ when he came, and therefore they did not go into the marriage supper. Uh, missions is called work in the Bible, folks. I want you to note several verses. Acts 13, 2, when Paul and uh, Silas were called, uh, Paul and Barnabas were called. Paul's call to the missionary, uh, as a missionary, is labeled his work. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted the Lord, uh, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work Whereunto I have called them. It's called work. First missionary call. Second Corinthians nine 8, I've quoted that verse a lot this, this week. God will enable us to abound to every good work. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound unto every good work. It's called work. I don't know about you, but work takes time, doesn't it? It takes time. Philippians 1, 6. Paul wrote a letter to the Philippian church, the only church that supported him when he left Macedonia, which is Europe. And he said this, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. You know what he said? What God started. Have you gotten started in world evangelization? The church has, but have you individually? He said, what I'll begin with you, and they supported him I will continue until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, you're not going to... Look, the window's going to be closed when Jesus comes, all right? You're going to be with Him in heaven, and you're not going to need to, uh, you're not going to, need to give a dime to world evangelization. In fact, you won't be capable of doing that. And so the window will close, and he calls it a work, a work. 1 Thessalonians 1, 3, Paul labels their evangelistic effort as a work of faith and labor of love, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. That's the other Macedonian church, Thessalonica. And then in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 5, Paul told young Timothy, a pastor, but watch thou in all things, endure affliction, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. And so there's no doubt that missions is called work in the Bible, isn't it? It's called work. Work is time-consuming. You agree with that? Tomorrow morning, some of you are going to get up, most of you are going to get up and go to work, and you're going to spend a better part of your day at work. Amen. There is precious little time, ladies and gentlemen, and one wise servant did not wait to invest in this passage. The unprofitable servant sat on his resources. He sat on his resources. Time is precious, John four thirty-five, but... Uh, say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they're white already to harvest. We've got a farmer here. Harvest won't wait. Some of these farmers want to get in there and put some seed in the ground to have a harvest. And time is precious, isn't it? We're running out of time, the growing season. I mean, you can't wait to the middle of June to put seed in the ground if you're going to get a harvest. Time is precious. I mean, any, I don't understand why a farmer would not be a Christian. They take $20,000, $30,000 and put seed in, in 40, 50, 60 acres or whatever it costs. And, and man, if it don't come up, they got to plant it again. I worked for a farmer when I was a boy, and I mean, he used to stand there and think, oh, if it would just rain, if it would just rain. <laughs> I mean, he was lost and he prayed for rain. I mean, uh, it, it's just it, the truth of the matter is time is precious. And here he says it's like a harvest. Look, when that, that, that corn's ready to be picked down where we come from, we have hurricanes. And if they hear there's a hurricane coming, those old boys will get out there with their pickers and their, and their combines and they'll help each other to get the harvest in because harvest will not wait or it will waste. A whole lot easier to get most of that corn when it's not blown over, when it's standing up straight. See, I'm basically a farm boy at heart. And so it takes work, doesn't it? Here's the question Are you missing your opportunity to invest in God's business on planet Earth and there is a harvest? Jesus said, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, he send forth laborers into his harvest. Mm-hmm. Why? Because harvest won't wait, That's right. it's, it's a timely adventure. If it, it, To get the seed in the ground, you've got to get it in at the right time. You've got to nurture it. You've got to make sure it's right. And then you've got to get out there and you've got to put the sickle in or you waste all of your labor. Time is precious. And I'm telling you, folks, there are people, that's how fast they're dying all around the world, all around the world. I mean, we can't catch up time is precious another truth talents according to this parable are proportionate you see what does that mean you know we have bought into this idea all men are created equal <laughs> that's a lie mm-hmm. that is a lie our souls far as a value, whether you have an IQ of 200 or an IQ of 50, is just as valuable. We're not all created equal. Look, the best I could do when I was coaching basketball was to get my fingers, I'm 5'11 and a half, and I could just barely get my fingers in the rim. I'm never going to dunk a basketball. I've got a boy in our school that can. We are not equal. I'm 69 years old he is 16 years old. We are not equal, okay? We, we bought that line, and we've just spread it out. We're equal in God's sight. That's right. That's right, I can't milk cows like he can. I can drink milk like he can, though. See, my gift is drinking milk, not getting milk. And by the way, I know where milk comes from. This generation thinks it comes from a cart, and I know it comes from cows, all right? I've never understood how a cow could take green grass and turn it into white milk though. But I still drink it. Amen. What am I saying? Talents are proportionate. Look at verse 15. Every man was given a talent according to his several abilities. They weren't all the same. Not every man could do something with five talents, he wouldn't know what to do with it. Another man was able to take two talents, and this could be money, and it is, and it also could be your abilities, okay? Depending on how you want to look at it. Now, let's define talents here. It's not pennies. Some people think, well, that's just a little bit of money. It was a lot of money. This was a lot of money. One talent, according to what I've researched, could equal 110 pounds of gold or 110 pounds of silver. I heard one writer said 200 pounds. That's a lot of gold, even in that day. It was about 20 years of wages. That's a lot of money, isn't it? 20 years of wages. The Lord knew what he could trust each man with. The money is figurative in that it represented each man's opportunity, we're talking about time, to use his abilities. Because he only had a certain amount of time before the master came back to find out what they'd done with their talent. Notice the doubling effect. Did you notice that? The good and faithful servants were five for five. The man given five talents, he increased because of what he invested, five more talents. The man with two talents, he gained two talents. That's a hundred percent return. Can you expect more than that? I don't expect more than a hundred percent. Do you? Hundred percent's good. I mean, I, I, even as a church member, I don't expect my people to be better than 100%. Most of them aren't. I'm, I'm kind of happy with 80 or 90%. <laughs> the bottom line is, uh, and some of you, by the way, were 100% in your attendance. I'm preaching now, aren't I? And you missed out, you that didn't get here. And I know some of you got flooded. That's okay. But the bottom line is, He speaks in terms of money because people are careful about what? Their money. I'm careful about mine, aren't you? So he uses money because he knows that we'll be careful about that. The doubling effect. The the unprofitable servant was zero for one. And probably inflation ate up the one. That talent wasn't worth as much when he gave it back as when he received it. Notice there was a divine expectation also in verse 14. He says, he delivered unto them whose goods? His goods. He delivered unto them his goods. God expected them to invest what he had given them. Let me shock you with some reality. Your pay slip has your name on it, but did you know that it belongs to God? God. Did you know that? He can turn your water off anytime he wants to. If you have the ability to get well, guess where you got that? He can turn that knob anytime he wants to. Anytime he wants to. And Really, you have to live by faith because you have no idea whether you're going to be able to perform next week or not. You have no idea. You think you will because you've done it for a long time, but you have no idea whether you can. He can turn your water off just like that. Best man at my wedding, her cousin, 49 years old, good job, worked for the government, made good money, had a stroke. He'd been paralyzed on his left side and in a wheelchair ever since. You have no idea. You have no idea how much time you have. I have buried two babies that drowned. That's one of the hardest things I've ever done. I buried a man in Princeton, New Jersey. When I pastored in, in, him uh, in New Jersey at a Great Hope Baptist Church there, I buried a man that had a heart attack at 37 years old. On the eastern shore of Virginia at the Baptist Bible Church, my first church, a young man fell off. He was a waterman, fell off a, uh, uh, a mask of a ship uh, and fell and hit on his chest. And he was in the hospital at 21 years old. He had a heart attack and died. I'm just saying you have no idea how long you're going to live. Now, someone's going to say, but I don't have enough for my needs. If you will check God's accounting record, you will find that God allows His people to do more with less. Hmm. A little boy had a lunch, five loaves and two fishes, and it fed 5,000 men plus whoever else was there, probably 20,000. He said, oh, that's just a kid's story. Uh, And listen... There were men, disciples, that passed that bread out, and it increased as they were passing it out, because Jesus blessed what that little boy gave. The widow at Zarephath had a handful of meal to feed her, and a little bit of a cruise of oil to feed Elijah for a year, and that was sufficient for many days. In the Hebrew, is a, a whole year. God put a rod in Moses' hand, not a sword, Gave him 2.4 million slaves to lead who were hard-headed, not an army. And yet, he defeated the Egyptian army by using the rod that God put in his hand. What does God put in your hand? And he said, how can I do this? And, And God said, what do you got in your hand, Moses? Now, let me tell you something. That wasn't a magic stick. It wasn't some magic stick that God said, I've got a magic stick here now. And here, you take this and I'll let you lead the children of Israel out of Egypt and you'll defeat armies. It was the stick he cut down while he was on the backside of the desert keeping sheep. It was something that he had. And God said, Take what you got in your hand, and I'll, if you'll use it for me, he said, I'll perform for you. What does God put in your hand? Gideon was given three hundred a few lamps and a war whoop to charge the Midianites that were described as grasshoppers in the valley and they defeated the Midianites by breaking a pitcher with a lamp in it or a a light in it and shouting a war whoop, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. David had a sling and a stone versus a giant. I had a deacon. He said, Preacher, he said, Pastor, he said, I'm going I'm to... He, he was called to preach. and He said, Pastor, he was in Maryland. He said, Pastor, I'm going to have to stop spending so much time on my, my sermon titles. I said, why? He said, I just preached on David and Goliath. It's a great, great story to preach. He said, one of my older ladies who didn't mind telling me the truth, walked out and said, Pastor, I was so excited when you gave that title. Then it was such a disappointment when you preached it. He said, my, my titles, are, he said, my titles are, are upstaging my messages. His title was, A Sling and a Stone Made the Big Boy Moan. <laughs> but David, just a, ch- just a little, the youngest in his family with a sling and a stone. Here's a question. What can God trust you with? God could trust one of these men with five talents. And he was faithful with the five talents. We're not all the same. He trusts another man with two talents. He was faithful. He gave one man one talent, and he wasn't faithful with the one talent. He sat on it. I want you to see another truth. Time is precious. Time is precious. Talents are proportionate. Total investment is promoted here. Look at verse 19. It says, after a long time, the Lord returned, and he reckoned with them. You know what that word reckon means? It means accounting. He wanted to look at the books. He wanted to look at the books. He said, "I'm come back, let me see your books." We're going to have an audit of the books. Now if God audited your finances, what did he find out? What would he find out that you loved? You know, Matthew chapter six, I preach a message from that, and five times it says, "Take no thought. Don't worry. It's all about whether you, what you eat, what you drink, what you put on. And he begins that passage in verse 19 by saying, Lay not up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourself treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and thieves do not break through and steal. You're going to leave, you're going to leave it here. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I would not dare do this, but if we were to throw if we were to throw your checkbook ledger up on the screen, we'd know what you love. I will tell you what you'd find on my check ledger over and 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 on dot dot dot. You'd see, I got paid every two weeks. You'd see a check written, to Great Hope Baptist Church, which would be include my tithe and my faith promise grace offering for missions. First. And I honor him with that. I'm not saying there might be a time where I had to write a check before I got to my, my offering envelopes. That could happen. But most of the time, 99% of the time, God got his first you know why? Because that's where my heart is. That's where my heart is. Where your heart is. Listen, he looked at the books. He said, I've been away a long time. And he reckoned with them. Philippians 4.17. Paul said this about the, the Philippians who lacked the, lacked the opportunity to get an offering to him. They were supporting him. He said, uh, you've lacked opportunity. And he's talking about the fact he's gone without. He said, I'm content whether I'm full or whether I'm not full. And he said, "Uh, you know, uh, I can do all things through Christ which strengthened me. But he says this, not because I desire a gift. That's not why he mentioned their lack of supporting him. They couldn't just drop it in the mail. Okay, folks, they had to send Epaphroditus who almost died to get some kind of a support ball. I mean, if we had to do that to our missionaries, they'd never get their support. Thank God we have the means to get support to them today. But it was hard back in that day. And so he said, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. When the Lord comes and reckons with you, Philippi, they're going to see that you faithfully supported me. Once and again, you sent to my necessities, even in Thessalonica. He said, there was no church that supported me concerning giving and receiving, except, or communicated with me concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. They were a ye only church. Remember I told you this morning that uh, some people won't give unless somebody else gives? Some churches won't give unless another church gives. I don't care what other churches do. Oh, I do care, but it's not going to affect what Great Hope Baptist Church does. There's never been in the history of our church that the missionaries did not get their support on time. Never. Zero. nilcho, Ever. I had a man to tell me one time, he said, Pastor, what would you do if it really got tight? Now, God always meets our needs. Yeah, I mean, he just, and I'm telling you, the church that, that puts God first in world evangelization, I, listen, I've lived this in three churches, two that didn't have a thing had nothing when I started. And the truth of the is, I've seen God meet need after need after need. In New Jersey, they couldn't even support me. I went there, and a pastor who'd started the church, he came through Great Hope. He, he basically was ready to quit. And they were going to quit too, and I told them they couldn't. There were a million people in Mercer County. It was a tough area. And Princeton University was right down the street from where we were meeting. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't exactly... South Carolina, okay, or Georgia, right, where everybody goes to church. The bottom line is this: this was uh, this was tough, and I said they couldn't. And I said, listen, have you ever had a mission? They never had a missions conference. People don't know what a missions conference is. It is a revival, folks. Yes, it is. It's a revival. It's the best kind of revival. At our church, it's the best attended meeting. People just don't know what that is. It is a church convened for a business meeting to decide the fate of the world. Mm. It's a great commission. It's bigger than Ohio. Yeah. It's bigger than Virginia. Yeah. It's bigger than the United States. Yeah. And it's impossible without him. Mm. That's why we have to trust him to give through us. I'll never forget. We had a missions conference at that little church. They, just, I, they called me. <laughs> I told them they couldn't quit, and they said, would you come? And I went there for two years and got them going. When I left there, I left them with $70,000 in the bank towards a building, and they were given a building. Mm. We took on 10 missionaries. They'd never supported. They supported some for about $25. I wouldn't even let a missionary stand in the Stand in the parking lot for $25 a month. The bottom line is, is it God bless? there? We started the school in the Eastern Shore with $50. We ran it into black for five years. I said, folks, if you get involved in world evangelization, God will meet your needs. Put his cause up on the front burner, and he'll put your needs up on his front burner. And you know what Paul told the Philippian church, which was a poor church in Philippians 4? But my God, shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He didn't give that promise to just any church. He gave it to a church that was giving to their power sacrificially and beyond their power, they were willing themselves, and they supported Paul as a missionary, and God met their needs, though they had nothing. I've experienced that. I've lived it. The Lord commended the first two servants, didn't he? Their resources increased from a few things to many in verses 21 and 23. He said, I'll put you over many things. If you are faithful in a few things, I will put you, make you a ruler over many things. They were promoted from servants to rulers. Folks, listen, faith can't lose. We're not gambling. Faith is a victory that overcomes the world. Christ will not let you down if you invest to lift him up to a lost and dying world. There will be a reckoning and a reward. Luke 6, 38. Find it in your Bible sometime and mark it. It's it's an agricultural term. That way everyone can understand it. Give and it shall be given unto you pressed down and shaken together and running over shall men given to your bosom. For the measure that you meet, it shall be measured to you again. Good measure, he said, running over. He says, I won't give you with air in the bag when the seed's put in there. He said, I'll get all the air out and it'll run over. He said, I don't believe that. Well, the only way you can learn is to give. That's the only way you can learn because nobody can teach you to give. I want you to see lastly a truth And that's the typical response, is precaution. Anytime you talk about money or giving, precaution is the typical response, right? Hey, we're serious about our money. We don't want to waste it. The man out of fear hid the talent knowing that his Lord expected to reap where he had not sown. That's what he said, right? He said, Lord, I knew you were... I was fearful, and I knew that you expected to reap where you hadn't sown, so I went and hid your talent in the ground. Fear paralyzed him, so he sat on his resources. The Lord's reckoning produced regret in his heart. He did not invest what his master had delivered unto him, and know what? He lost it all. He said, take from him... And give it to the man with ten talents, the man who had five and gained five more. He said, give it to him. Why would God do that? Because he knew that he would use it. If if the church raises money and doesn't plan to spend it for world evangelization, why should God give more money through that church? Why? It's true on 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 the personal level. Here's the question. Do you think that our all-knowing, all-powerful, all-seeing God does not know what our budget priorities are? Absolutely he knows what they are. Follow the money this morning. Follow it. And do what Matthew 6 says, Lay not up for yourselves treasure upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt. You're going to lose your manicured yard. You're going to lose your two-story house. You're going to leave it. You're going to leave your antique car, and you're going to leave your portfolio. You're going to leave it. You, there are no hearses pulling U-Haul trailers. Do you get that? There are no hearses pulling U-Haul trailers. You're going to leave it. As one, one old black guy was in a, digging a, digging a, uh, a uh, gravesite for a guy, and this was a in there. And he always said he wanted to be buried in a gold, gold Cadillac. And the the old fellow was standing there with his buddy leaning on the shovel as they were lowering the Cadillac in the grave. He said, man, ain't that living? The other guy was a little bit wiser than he, and he said, how much did he he leave? And the old boy said he left it all. (laughs) He left it all, and that's what's going to happen. I am as confident that the Lord will keep me Solvent financially as I invest in the Great Commission, as I am that my soul is secure and heaven is my home. I am that confident about my financial stability as I am about my soul's salvation because it's the same God that provides both. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich that's motivating isn't it that's why I give I want to ask you a question he says for ye know the grace of our Lord do you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ there's a passage in scripture that says to whom much is given much shall be required I tell our people the mission program that we have at our church requires us to let the preacher go sometime and go to another church and I don't I would rather be a Great Hope Preaching. I enjoy preaching missions conferences. But I told them, I said, God has allowed us to do something that is such an example. We need to, you need to be willing to let me go sometimes, about four or five times a year, and preach at another church and share the message that God has put on my heart and has taught us. And you know what? If you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, you understand what it is to be forgiven, Don't you know that you have a responsibility to those who've never heard? He said, Preacher, I don't have much money. Really, neither do I. But years ago, God put it on a 21-year-old man's heart who wasn't in the ministry to give $2 a week. It was the most important promise I ever made because it was the first step after tithing. I couldn't believe that preacher said you need to give ten percent. I thought, how am I gonna do that? I did it. Next thing I know, we're in a missions conference. Back in those days, you know, do you know what the you know what the promise was at Great Hope? 14000 dollars Our church is not a mega church by the standards of the day. We don't, we don't we we have two fifty on a good Sunday. On normal Sunday. Last year our church gave $356,000 above our regular offerings and missions. I don't say that to make you feel bad or to brag. I'm bragging on Jesus. I'm amazed at what these people have learned to do. You see, you've got a bunch of millionaires. No, I don't. I've got a bunch of people that have good jobs because God's given them good jobs, that work hard every day, working people that literally believe what I'm preaching to you. And I'm here to tell you, we built a gym and didn't cut our missions. It's paid for. We remodeled that gym last year, and we didn't cut missions. We built buildings and didn't cut missions. We run a Christian day school that always has a deficit, and we never took a dime for missions, not one dime. And it's there. Not one dime. You know why? Because it is the priority of our church to not only reach Chesapeake, but to reach the world. We're doing both. And you can too. And God will use you. The reason I know is he's used me in my own personal life and finances. But let me be quick to say as I close. Do you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? That's what Paul said to the Corinthians. For you know the grace of our Lord. They did. So why not give the gift that you promised? Or why not do what God lays on your heart? Why not? But if you're here without Jesus Christ, let me say, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You need to just come and receive today. Forget about giving if you're not saved. We want you to receive something. And that's the gift of eternal life. Because until until you have the spirit of the living God living in your heart, You really have nothing to give back to God. Would you bow with me for prayer?